Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We're your hosts, Kathy and Karen. Today we will discuss episode 48 of The Story of Minglan or Zhi Fo Zhi Fo Ying Shi Lu Fei Hong Shou. The podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. If you have any questions, please reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter at Chasing Dramas, or else email us at Karen and Kathy at ChasingDramas.com. Thank you all to everybody who has already uh, submitted their preferences on the poll for our website. If you have not done so already, please head over to ChasingDramas.com to vote for what drama we should discuss next. For today, we will start off with the episode recap, then conduct a character analysis, then a historical analysis, and finally close off with some book differences. I really like this episode uh, because it showcases a lot of secondary characters, not even secondary, like tertiary character um, analysis. And it provides a multifaceted view of somebody who we haven't really seen. He's more in the background, but certainly has caused issues for our main character, uh, Gu Tingye. Um, and I think the actor does an amazing job. So we will be spending quite a bit of time analyzing what's going on in this episode. The episode starts with a glimpse of prison life for the Gu sons, who are currently uh, enjoying their time there. A couple of guards come in and start beating one of the young men up, scaring the bejesus out of the other young men who are imprisoned in uh, nearby cells. What's going on? If you recall, these sons were put in prison because they had some relations or connections with a rebel prince who was defeated in a coup and now are being rounded up for their crimes in that connection. Back in the Gu Manor, the parents of these young men are extremely agitated. In a family meeting, parents of all three sons urge the Marquis, Gu Tingyu, or Gu Tingye's older brother, to save their sons. How they treat Gu Tingyu, though, in asking for help remains on trend for what we've seen in the last couple of episodes in how they treat Gu Tingye. The fourth and fifth uncles keep on emphasizing that Gu Tingyu must help their sons, aka Gu Tingyu's cousins, because they're family. One of them says, Xue Nong Yu Shui, which just means that blood is thicker than water, thereby implying how strong their family relationships are. Oddly, these uncles say nothing of remediating their son's behavior in the future or even drop a hint of gratefulness to Gu Tingyu. They think it's something that's owed to them and that it's not their son's fault for being captured. Why do I say this? Look at their response when Gu Tingyu asks, was it I who let them party it up in brothels? Or was it I who allowed them to ally themselves with rebel princes? How did all of this suddenly become my fault? The fourth uncle only cries, what kind of crap are you saying? I mean, that's kind of ridiculous, don't you think? They have absolutely no remorse in what happened and only care about getting their sons out. Madame Qin, 
So Gu Yu and Gu Ye's stepmother is crying fake tears on the side as well. Her wailing is actually hilarious, and this speaks volumes of her actress's acting abilities. She does not give a hoot about the other sons. She only talks about her son and says that all of his faults are hers for not teaching him better. But then she randomly changes the subject by saying that if Ku Tingyu is upset because he doesn't have a son, she promises to find a young boy from their family clan to become his son. And that way, this son can inherit his title. This royally pisses off Gu Tingyu. As he explains while calling her out on why she said such things kind of out of the blue, it's because she thinks he isn't helping her son because he's worried that if he passes due to his uh, frail health, the title of Marquis would go to her son. So by saying, oh, we'll find you a son to keep the title in your family, suggests that Gu Tingyu only cares about title, not his relatives. But little does she know, the fact that she brought this up really showcases what she cares about, not what he cares about. At this point, Gu Tingyu is furious with the pressure his uncles, his aunts, and especially Madame Qin are placing on him. He tries to ask his uncles how his father and mother would think of their behavior. They, though, quickly turn it back on him, saying, um, would uh, your parents accept you letting your cousins die? Gu Tingyu is so enraged at their accusation and words that he slumps over from fury. What a bunch of terrible relatives. I'm dying of laughter when the room is screaming for a doctor and the fourth uncle is just flapping his arms like a chicken. I also like how, uh, maybe from a costume perspective, they purposefully made him and the fourth uncle's um, sleeves just way too long, so you barely see their hands and it's just like flapping around. <laughs> but Gu Tingyu is still very much resolute against asking Gu Tingye for assistance. He still believes that Gu Tingye will compromise and agree to the family's begging without giving anything up. Let's recall Gu Tingyu's very firm rebuke to Gu Tingye's request in the last episode. He will not allow Gu Tingye's mother to be added to the family ancestral hall because Gu Tingyu still very much believes, or claims he believes, that Gu Tingye's mother essentially killed his mother. Gu Tingyu will not budge in asking Gu Tingye for help even with all the begging and pleading from his family. That night, though, Hu Tingyu overhears the diagnosis of his condition as the doctor tells his wife to prepare for the worst. There's not much he can do. Hu Tingyu falls to the ground, and his wife and daughter rush over to help him. He is upset that his wife didn't tell him the truth of his condition earlier. He thought he had more time. Everything he has done up until now was because he thought he had at least another seven to eight years. Now he has to recalibrate his steps. His daughter Xianjie also arrives cheerfully to listen to his father's instructions to take care of her mother after he leaves. Under the full moon, Gu Tingyu heads to the Gu family shrine to pray and think about his next steps in front of his ancestors. You can tell it's a hard decision for him, but he must think what's best for the Gu family and for his own wife and child. 
The next day, there is a full family meeting. Gu Tingye and Minglan have also arrived. Gu Tingyu shows up to sit at the head of the room with Madame Qin on his right and his uncles and aunts in a row on his left. Gu Tingyu is the current marquee and has the last word of the family. He starts off with a rather snarky remark that his family has done nothing wrong, but the families who have committed crimes aren't the ones making the request. So what he's saying is he personally hasn't done anything, but the families who have committed crimes aren't the one making the ask to Gu Tingye. We've said countless times before, but the rest of the family really is quite despicable. The fourth and fifth houses beg Gu Tingyu to acquiesce to Gu Tingye's request that Gu Tingye made in the last episode. They don't think it's a big deal. Who cares? It's just adding someone to the ancestral hall. For Gu Tingyu, though, it is a big deal, especially if said woman apparently killed his mother. Why would he allow her to have a reputation that would stain his family or his father's reputation. Gu Tingyu tells them that if you want to ask for a favor, actually admit to your mistakes and then come clean. You can't just do something half-heartedly and expect it to be okay. It has to be heartfelt and sincere. Madame Qin quickly says, oh, of course, I can bow to Gu Tingye. That's not a problem. The fact that she was okay with bowing is already kind of a big deal. Bowing, especially to a younger generation, is unheard of because of the strict social hierarchy at the time. However, I believe Madame Qin said she'll bow as a way to get out of other requests from Gu Tingye. Since she's already offering one pretty big thing already, in my view, she's hoping that this will prevent her from having to do anything more. Gu Tingyu, though, has other plans. He has his wife bring out a box. Let's look at the faces of the other older family members. Blood basically drains from their faces, and it is positively marvelous to watch. Gu Tingyu hands out the letters from the box over to Gu Tingye. Gu Tingyu informs his brother that the letters are a part of their father's last will. It was supposed to be sent over to the Gu clan elders upon his death and read in front of the clan. The letter stated that Gu Tingye's mother's dowry was all to be bestowed to Gu Tingye, a full 115,000 tails of silver. Now, I haven't done the conversion um, as I did last time for... Um, the discussion of revolving money, but let's just say 115,000 tails of silver equates to probably millions. Gu Tingye is stunned at this letter. He can't believe his father actually wrote this for him on his deathbed. His stare turns icy, though, when he asks the family if this letter was sent to the Gu clan and read in front of the elders. Gu Tingye turns his head and says, of course it wasn't. Madame Qin immediately begins her act, crying crocodile tears and blaming the not reading of the will on the men of the family, namely the fourth and fifth houses, and of course, Gu Tingyu. If we take a look, Gu Tingyu basically rolls his eyes at her words. 
The fourth and fifth uncles, though, look extremely sheepish. Their eyes are diverted, and they themselves turn away. Do you know what they respond with? They respond with, oh, um, you know, the elders of this family wanted to take care of your finances and make sure you didn't spend it all. Uh, I could not believe my ears when I first watched this. The rest of the family basically wanted to steal all of Gu Tingye's money for themselves. For them to call Gu Tingye basically a bastard and talk about family when they are the ones literally siphoning money off of his mother's dowry? Um, in what world is this? That's why they didn't read the will because, you know, they could pretend to always just use Gu Tingye's money if no one knows about it. Gu Tingye is furious. Why should he help? And honestly, I'm furious too. I mean, you're sitting on like a pile and a fortune of my mother's money and you didn't even bother to tell me this and now you're just like, oh my God, think about family, please help. I don't know. Uh, That's just so what, rich. Yeah, <laughs> that is very rich of you. Gu Tingyu, though, so the older brother, continues with his surprising actions and comes clean with all of the family's assets all the Gu family properties and valuable antiques and art. He also provides the division of these assets amongst the clan. The amount of money that is to be given to each house is explicitly stated in the text that was passed down by their grandfather. Madame Tin and the rest of the family try to stop him, but to no avail. I find it fascinating. When Gu Tingyu brought out the box, you can see how threatening Madame Qin's shouts were at him. She normally is so serene and soft-spoken, but she was very sharp in that, I guess, yell towards him. Gu Tingye is perplexed at his brother's actions. Why would he do this? He's essentially giving the entire Gu family to Gu Tingye. Gu Tingyu doesn't immediately answer him and asks his brother, his younger brother, to come with him to the ancestral hall. At this point, the relatives understand they've lost. In the shrine, the two brothers finally have somewhat of a heart-to-heart. Gu Tingyu shares that from the moment he could remember, he was told that his mother was killed by Gu Tingye's mother and that his frail health was also attributed to the drama in his youth due to his mother's death. Gu Tingye doesn't understand why his brother is sharing this. He's used to being blamed for every bad thing that happens in the family. Is this anything new? Gu Tingyu continues and asks Gu Tingye, what would he do if, in order to save his family, he was forced to divorce Minglan? What would he choose? And by family, Gu Tingyu clarifies that he does not mean the Gu family, but rather Gu Tingye's daughter, his son, his wet nurse, and his servant Shi Tou, the people who were truly close to him. Even if he had nothing, he would never allow a woman to take the blame or fault of his actions. Gu Tingyu doesn't press him for an answer. It doesn't matter. But he does say that their father chose one path and both of their mothers chose another. Before we continue on, I think this question is extremely important and does illuminate the characters of the three people. Gu Tingye, his father and his mother. As Gu Tingye states, 
he is not going to buckle under this kind of pressure. It's implied that he's willing to lose everything to save the ones he cares about. And by that, everything, he means his title, his wealth, and power. He knows what is truly important to him, and he also believes in his own capabilities in providing for his family. That was not the case for his father. His father divorced his first wife in order to marry Gu Tingye's mother for her money. His father wanted to save the Gu family from ruin and thus had to sacrifice multiple people. It's a hard decision, especially since hubris and ego are so important in this part of the equation. It takes a rare person to behave like Gu Tingye and to be ready to give up so much. Not many people would answer the way he did. Gu Tingye's father was faced with a lose-lose situation. Either his family would become destitute and potentially lose their marquee title, or he would lose his wife. And he chose his family over his wife. For Gu Tingye's mother, she, or more importantly, her father, wanted an aristocratic title. And unfortunately, she paid for it with her life. Now, Gu Tingyu, in his alien condition, continues to explain to Gu Tingye that no matter how much he hates how his father and his Gu family relatives treated him, he cannot escape the truth that he is a member of the Gu family. First, he shows Gu Tingye a plaque, which we will discuss later on. And second, he points out to Gu Tingye that he was the only person under the new emperor's regime to have been so successful in taking over the military command at his new post. No other person in the emperor's trusted group of advisors enjoyed such a benefit. And this is all because he, Gu Tingye, is from the Gu family. Gu Tingye at first scoffs. He firmly stated that while he was in the military, he took his mother's name, Bai. Gu Tingyu clarifies to Gu Tingye, his stature, his persona, his face, all indicate that he is not from the same group as where the emperor came from, back when they were out in Yuzhou. No one said anything to prevent him the embarrassment, but generations of Gu family members are embedded in the military. They listened to him solely because his last name is Gu, and they were willing to offer their lives to him during uh, the failed rebellion. To this, Gu Tingye can only be impressed at his brother's perceptiveness. He recognizes that the only reason his brother is telling him all of this is so as to provoke him to keep an ounce of kindness and, I guess, forgiveness towards the Gu family. When pressed as to whether or not his requirements have been met, Gu Tingyu shares that he has already requested a title for Gu Tingye's mother and written her into their ancestral book. Gu Tingye will finally achieve what he wants. But even more beyond that, Gu Tingyu is entrusting his title and the entire Gu family to Gu Tingye. Gu Tingye is confused. He's going to take over all of it? And here is ultimately why Gu Tingyu has a change of heart. He says that he is entrusting his wife and his young daughter to Gu Tingye. He hopes Gu Tingye will take care of them after he is gone. As Gu Tingye leaves the shrine, 
Gu Tingyu shouts the line that is one of the key themes in this drama. 父母之爱子，则为之计深远。Which translates to because of a parent's love for their children, they will plan for their future. Everything Gu Tingyu has just done was to ensure that his daughter Xianjie is cared for in the family after he passes. Let's talk now about what exactly happened in this episode and caused Gu Tingyu to have a complete 180 towards Gu Tingye. In the last episode, he was absolutely adamant about not bowing to Kutinia's requests. But now, not only did he do it, but he gave his title and the entire family's wealth to Kutinia. Why? In the beginning of the episode, Kutinia saw how despicable his shameless uncles treated him. They bullied him, degraded him, and threw lies at him in order to force him to help their sons get out of jail. As we mentioned earlier. There is absolutely no ounce of remorse for what their sons have done. Not once did the fourth or fifth uncles say they will go home and teach their sons a lesson. No, it's only about getting their sons out. And so Gu Tingyu saw that these people could not be trusted. Turning to Madame Qin, the fact that she brought up how he has no son and they'll find a young man to take over his title for him revealed that. What she truly cared about was the title of marquis, or how to control the title of marquis. She is also one not to care for the family beyond getting the title for her son. I would say that Gu Tingyu, the older brother, knew all of this, but he thought that he had more time to plan his next steps, or at least destroy his brother Gu Tingye. He allows all of this mistreatment from his relatives because the person he hates most is his brother. However, after hearing that he does not have much time left due to his illness, he has to rethink everything asap. He is one of the most intelligent people in the drama, and he has seen through everyone's personalities and schemes, particularly his brother's. But he understands that his wife is not someone who is capable of surviving on her own in the Gu family, especially under the likes of these people, meaning the uncles and Madame Tian. They may, on the face, say they will take care of his soon-to-be widow, but Madame Tian and the uncles will definitely not do much. Because of that, his wife will also have a difficult time taking care of their daughter under such a regime in the family. It's clear he and his wife have a very loving relationship, and that they both dote on their daughter. After thinking through the candidates of the family of who would be best to take care of his wife and daughter, the only people would be Gu Tingye and Sheng Minglan. While Gu Tingyu has done malicious things to his brother, like prevent him from ever placing in the imperial entrance exam, I do think he hedged himself with his brother. Why else did he not burn his father's will, explicitly stating that Wu Tingye was to receive X amount? Yeah,、um, perhaps it's because he didn't want to outright deny his father's request, but he didn't bring it out for years. He kept this piece of writing hidden. I do think deep down that even in his hatred for Wu Tingye, a part of him knew that his brother's character was much better than that of his relatives. 
That is why he did not destroy this will and the information that would provide Gu Tingye with, with as much power as he has now. We return back to Gu Tingye, who that night is reviewing the documents that his brother has shared. He tells Minglan that his brother is the most intelligent person he knows. If his brother's health was not as frail, there would be nothing left for Gu Tingye. And this is true. The only reason Gu Tingye now has a title, his share of the Gu family wealth, and his mother's reputation restored is because his brother gave it to him. If he didn't do so, Gu Tingye would have very little. As ever, the clear-headed one, Milan also shares that even if not requested, she would take care of her sister-in-law and niece. She has this stance that conflicts between men should not be translated to conflicts between women and children. Speaking of women and children, we now turn to Gu Tingyu on his deathbed, surrounded by his wife and young daughter. Say what you will about him, he is a doting husband and father. I don't think many fathers would do as much as he did in planning their future. His wife reveals to him that Madame Qin suggested that they take her son's Shu Chu son as their own to inherit the title. Once again, you can see the claws of Madame Qin trying to reach into the affairs of the marquee title. Gu Tingyu sees right through this and tells his wife to never agree to discuss inheriting the title ever again with Madame Qin. His wife is nowhere near as intelligent as him or his daughter and doesn't see how she's being manipulated. If they allowed Gu Tingwei, the third brother's Shu Chu son, to inherit the title, the marquee title is as good as Gu Tingwei and Madame Qin's. That is not what Gu Tingyu wants for the Gu family and his wife and daughter. With his dying breath, he instructs his daughter and wife to never discuss adopting a son ever again, no matter how anyone tries to push them. He also instructs them to stay clear of any conflict between Minglan and Madame Tin. He finally realizes that his stepmother uses others as targets for her own plots, and I think he recognizes that he may have been manipulated in his youth. His wife and daughter tearfully agree. He then calls out to his deceased father and mother, saying that he will finally join them soon, and utters that he has lost face for them. His younger brother is better than him at everything. And with this, he passes away. The episode ends with Gu Tingye holding up his side of the bargain. In front of the entire court, he pushes the emperor to forgive his brother and cousins. Qi Hong, who seems to have been promoted since he's now wearing the same red outfit as Gu Tingye, objects. But Gu Tingye persists. We will see more in the next episode, what the emperor's reaction is to Gu Tingye's pressure. We've already talked at length about Gu Tingye's older brother in this episode, but I think there's a little more to be said. With his dying breath, we see also what truly motivated Gu Tingye against his brother all these years, which is his jealousy towards his brother. While on the one hand, he blames his brother and 
Gu Tingye's mother for breaking apart his family and killing his mother, he was probably jealous of all things Gu Tingye could achieve, but he could not. With his frail health, he was not able to fight for his country, nor did he take the imperial entrance exams to offer his services at court. Or he didn't even go to court. It is unfortunate he could not use his intellect for meaningful purposes. He is one of the most intelligent people in the entire drama, and if we had our top most intelligent list, he'd be up there in the top five. All right, that was a lot to discuss about Gu Tingyu this episode. Uh, why don't we now turn towards some historical analysis? All right, first up is this phrase called Hua Tuo Zai Shi. The doctor uses this idiom Hua Tuo Zai Shi or phrase when um, he claimed that unless Hua Tuo was reincarnated, he wouldn't be able to save Gu Tingyu. The phrase Hua Tuo Zai Shi is basically a reincarnated Hua Tuo. Now, who is this Hua Tuo? Well, he is one of the most famous physicians in Chinese history. He was born around 145 AD and died in 208 AD, killed by the one and only Cao Cao. Hua Tuo was a master in internal medicine, surgery, gynecology, pediatrics, acupuncture, and many other fields of medicine. The earliest records of him are in the Book of Later Han and the records of the Three Kingdoms. Some of the contributions include treating jaundice with capillary wormwood, developing mafei-san, possibly the world's first anesthetic, but uh, that um, formula has been lost, and the exercise of the five animals, or wu qin xi, in which one performs exercises that mimic five animals, such as deer, tiger, bear, ape, and crane. And the exercise of the five animals, or wu qin xi, is still regularly um, practiced or performed today. Hua Tuo was celebrated in life and has basically been deified since his death. He died under torture of Cao Cao, an Eastern Han Dynasty warlord and a very famous figure in the Three Kingdoms period. Cao Cao was suffering migraines and requested treatment from Hua Tuo. After a while, Hua Tuo resented his position and refused requests to treat Cao Cao, claiming that his wife was ill. When Cao Cao's guards saw that Hua Tuo was lying, under command from Cao Cao, Hua Tuo was captured and thrown into prison. He died shortly after. Hua Tuo wrote his life's learnings in a book called Qinang Shu, but unfortunately it was lost. So we don't actually have written records from him, and it's very much a great loss to the field of medicine. Even though his writings were and are lost, many of his students continued with his teachings. In Chinese culture, he is a legendary character and will be referred to often in regards to medicine. So I'm sure he has been referenced in other dramas um, or even Empresses in the Palace, but we wanted to highlight him here. Another idiom that was referenced by the doctor is zhong jing chong sheng. It is similar to hua tuo zai shi in conveying that you would need a doctor of this stature to be alive in order to maybe save your husband. 
Who is Zhong Jing? Zhang Zhong Jing, formal name Zhang Ji, was a Chinese pharmacologist, physician, inventor, and writer uh, during the Eastern Han dynasties. He wrote a book called Shang Han Zabing Lun, or uh, the Treatise on Cold, Pathogenic, and Miscellaneous Diseases. I've actually never read this. I've also never heard of this Zhongjing person, but apparently he has contributed greatly to Chinese traditional medicine. Unfortunately, the original text of this treatise on cold, pathogenic, and miscellaneous diseases was lost during the Three Kingdoms era, but um, he is often regarded as a sage of Chinese medicine. You would say that he and Hua Tuo are contemporaries, but I do think Hua Tuo is a little bit more well-known. It might be because Hua Tuo shows up in Romance of the Three, uh, Romance of the Three Kingdoms. In any case, the fact that the doctor said Hua Tuo Zai Shi, Zhong Jing Chong Sheng, essentially mean the same thing. You would need these incredible doctors to be alive today to even consider saving your husband. There is a idiom called Hui Guang Fan Zhao that Gu Tingyu used to describe Gu Tingye's father on his deathbed. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I never really understood what Hui Guang Fan Zhao meant. And so because it made me do some research, you get to listen to me <laughs> share that research. It essentially means terminal lucidity in which the patient has a short span of clarity before death. If there are any opera fans out there, and I'm talking about Western opera, so we're mixing Eastern and Western culture here, uh, think La Boheme and the main character Mimi. She has a short moment of lucidity right before she succumbs to consumption. Interestingly, this phrase, terminal lucidity, was coined by Michael Nam, Nam in 2009. So very recent. The first instance of the phrase Hui Guang Fan Zhao, though, appeared in the Tang Dynasty in Buddhist teachings. So I don't think it really meant the same thing. However, the phrase is clearly written in Hong Lao Meng, or the Dream of the Red Mansion, Dream in the Red Mansion, published in the late uh, mid to late 18th century and used with the definition of terminal lucidity. And lastly, let's discuss the Dan Shu Tie Juan. The YouTube translation of this is the iron plate written on cinnabar, which I guess is a very accurate literal translation. That is the iron plate that Gu Ting Ye holds uh, up and is like the main talking point between him and his brother. Juan means scroll, and sometimes Dan Shu Tie Juan is also referred to as the Jin Juan or gold scroll. Historically, this was gifted by the emperor to his subjects, who then received an elevated status or nobility titles, and oftentimes included what was called a Mian Si Jin Pai or a death exemption gold plate or basically immunity against death. Typically, this would be gifted to loyal subjects who aided with the founding of the dynasty. The first instance of this uh, occurred with the founding of the Han Dynasty in 202 BC under the reign of the first emperor, Han Gaozu Liu Bang. 
To reward the loyalty of his most trusted generals and advisors, he ordered an iron plate, tie juan, written with cinnabar or danshu, to be placed in a golden box and safely placed in a temple. In the beginning, the danshu tie juan didn't have immunity powers. It was more as a representation of nobility. The earliest records of danshu tie juan having death immunity powers was during the northern and southern Song dynasties around the 5th century AD. By the Tang dynasty, families with the Danshu Tiejuan were granted immunity up to around three times. During the Song dynasty, there was one family, the Chai family. Well, they were the previous rulers that the Song dynasty overthrew, um, and they were granted blanket immunity. The first written record of Danshu Tiejuan appeared in the Book of Han in the specific section that chronicled Han Gaozu, or Liu Bang, and the book was completed in 111 AD. Now, even though the translation is iron plate written on cinnabar, the plates were actually usually engraved using gold, which was a custom that began during the Sui Dynasty, or the late 6th century AD, which is why they were also called Golden Scroll or Golden Book, or Jin Shu. Mian Si Jin Pai, or the death exemption plate, or the immunity against death, is prominently featured in Huan Zhu Gege, or um, Pearl Princess, but that definitely did not involve a Dan Shu Tie Juan in, in that storyline. Alrighty, and with that, let's finally move on towards book differences. Now, the drama showcases Gu Tingyu and his family dynamic much more than in the book. In the drama, we see him refuse Gu Tingyu's request in the last episode, but he changes his decision this episode after hearing about his health. In the book, it goes straight into the family discussion shown in this episode. With regards to the secret will from Gu Tingyu's father, the family basically got clan family members drunk, learned of the secret will, and stole it back. So I don't know what's worse, <laughs> the book or the drama. In the book, we also do get some more of Gu Tingye's internal monologue. He was ready to let the Gu family basically perish. As we discussed before, he was fine with rising through the ranks himself. However, Gu Tingyu also had more to say about their father and just how much he actually loved Gu Tingye and how conflicted their father was uh, when facing his second son. Gu Tingye was the son that was closest in temperament to his father, but the two just didn't know how to interact. Gu Tingyu, in the book, also had the added calculation that if Gu Tingye threw the family away, that might also mean that Gu Tingye would not keep the marquee title. Gu Tingyu knew he was not long for the world, for his wife and daughter, a dowager marchioness and a daughter of a marquis would mean an elevated status for the rest of their lives. If Gu Tingye dispatched with the title and said, nope, I don't want the title of Ningyuan, Gu Tingyu's wife and daughter would suffer immensely in society. As we mentioned earlier in the podcast, Gu Tingyu is a very calculating man on uh, various family matters. And on his deathbed, though, he put his personal family over his crazy relations, and he was betting on Gu Tingye to do the same. 
Last piece in the book, Gu Tingyu is described as a very, very handsome man, probably even more handsome than Qi Hong. That is not the case here in the drama. At least I don't think, personally, not a dig, but the actor did a very great job in portraying Gu Tingyu. All right, and that is it for today's podcast episode. Like I said, I really like episode 48 of this drama because it just makes me constantly want to think back about what are the key drivers in one's life. For Gu Tingyu, it is his family, and I really appreciated that. If you haven't already, please check out our website with the latest drama reviews we've done or follow along with dramas we're currently watching. If you are looking for free sites to watch dramas and you're in the U.S., head on over to Jubao TV. It is a free service that has a selection of Chinese dramas and movies to watch. You can stream it on TV with Xfinity or Cox Contour or else on their website, Jumo, X-U-M-O, online. One of the dramas available on that uh, site is Heli Huating or Royal Nirvana that just celebrated its second year anniversary of airing. So if you want to check it out, Jubao is a great place to do it. The music you heard today is the Zither version of Lan, um, played by me with sheet music by Bingjiu Wo Niujun. As always, please feel free to reach out to us rate us and leave us a review and we will see you in the next episode.